Hi there, this is Michael F. Schein. I am the author of The Hype Handbook, published by McGraw-Hill, and the founder and president of Microfame Media. Today on the show, we are going to talk about the connection between Hitler and Harvard, why every good movement needs an enemy, why there's actually no such thing as true morality, and what George W. Bush and Margaret Thatcher taught us about unifying a nation by using hype. Welcome back to the third part of our interview, a beautiful conversation with Michael F. Schein. You can, he is the author of the Hype Handbook. You can find out about him at, tell us that URL again with the books. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm going to give you mine. It's just michaelfshine.com. S-C-H-E-I-N. Yeah. You'll find out all kinds of, I mean, like I said, he's all over the place um, and all kinds of great places. He writes for, for Forbes and all kinds of other outlets. Um, and in this episode, we're going to sort of take a little bit deeper dive into this whole idea of what a cult is and cult psychology and mass hysteria and mass hypnosis and all those kinds of things. But before we do that, it's time for the mastication round. <laughs> so the mastication round, as you know, if you're a regular listener, this is Curiosity Bites. And we got to masticate on some things, chew down on it. And in this round, we get to ask a question or two, sometimes more, um, to our guest. And we ask these random questions, which they have no um, understanding of. They don't know where it's going. It might pull us off in all kinds of weird and wonderful tangents. So, Michael, would you pick a number between 1 and 24, please? Three. Three. Oh, all right. Number three, what do you believe is the greatest mystery to be solved? You know, I don't know if this is a fair answer, but I sometimes don't want the mysteries solved. You know, like I hear these scientists trying to figure out if there's intelligent life. And that's probably in some ways the greatest mystery because we went from like thinking we're the center of the universe to knowing that we're not, but we still, mm. for all we know, are the only life form, certainly intelligent life. So now they're sending these like waves into space, you know, SETI trying to find aliens. And I'd, I'm curious about that. I think it's the central question, but I don't know. I've seen that movie before and it doesn't end well. I think sometimes maybe it's better to be in the darkness, you know? Wow, we found the aliens and they have a giant ship with atomic missiles, right? So- um, <laughs> Good night, earthlings. Right, so sometimes I think the mysteries are better and not solved. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is very good. That's yeah. really good. Yeah, I think that maybe that in that case, Maybe ignorance is bliss. I can never really get behind that statement, but maybe in that case, that I don't might think be ignorance way. is bliss, but I sometimes think it's like Pandora's box, yeah. you know. Or do you do you ever read the book Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut? Yes. I remember like that really stuck with me. There's like this character who's a scientist and all he he's a genius and all he cares about is solving the puzzle. Like it, he gets really interested in the way turtles necks like lock together. And he, he's obsessed with that. And then the, the, the generals want him to work on military stuff. So they take his turtles away. So then he just gets interested on like, how do you create a substance where the freezing temperature is room temperature, you know? 
So he creates this thing called Ice Nine. So if you drop one drop of it in water, it freezes everything and it destroys the world. So it's like, yeah, he, he was just driven by this kind of like amoral, like scientific curiosity. And I'm all for curiosity, but maybe it's important to temper some of that with concept. Maybe, maybe it's just that not ignorance is bliss, but that actions have consequences. This, yeah, maybe that's the that that's the thing that I'm talking but, about. But you know, it's interesting because you talk there about an an amoral, um, and if, you know, again, this is very interesting in the context of uh, what we were talking about around hype and mass movements. Um, everything's amoral. We we apply morality. To yeah, it, true. Whatever yeah, it point. is, yeah. And, yeah. and you know, we say, for instance, you know, going back to the reference we had before, that the people in the red hats. Uh, have no morals uh, we say the people who are woke you know they don't have morals they just want to be the uh, thought police you know uh, uh, you know you only have to read 1984 and you can see the movement towards that position on either side and I, that worries the crap out of me <laughs> like really concerns me is everybody screaming for free speech as long as it's the same kind of free speech yeah, that I, I, know. I use. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> I never thought I would. I mean, that was, yeah, that's, I, I wonder, I think about morality sometimes because on one hand, like I, I, I try to have this personal morality that if my actions are hurting somebody that it's immoral sure. at the same time, I eat meat and, and it's factory farmed meat. I don't always eat the, and I know it's cruel and I'll even stop for a few days. And then I, I eat it and I tell myself all kinds of stories, uh, you know, human, animals eat other animals, but I, I know how these animals are treated, but I do it anyway. So have I broken my own morality or is there no morality at the same time? There's this whole thing where like people are falling short of old moral standards. So they get, you know, taken out of circulation, whatever Thomas Jefferson had slaves, but how do we know that people won't view our meat eating and the fact that we use phones with materials mined by children as, as the same thing? So I guess I'm confused about morality because I tried, I really do try to be moral and I try to do right. But how do you make those decisions if there's no moral arbiter or if, if everything is amoral? Well, I think- Why that, not just go like be survival of the fittest and just like- well, because first of all, Darwinian is not survival of the fittest. It is exactly what you talked about before from that anthropologist. What we know is it was not survival of the fittest. It was survival of the friendliest. It of was the the, those who yeah. bonded with others right. that actually survived. And what we know is that um, that when Homo sapiens um, began to rule, it was you know, certainly we knocked off a few of the others. But most of it was actually because we interbred with the others and right. we allowed them in and then became part of our tribe. So it's not survival of the fittest. That's one thing. On the other side of it is, is this understanding that morality is, and this is where I, where I think we've all got to look, because you just said it. You know, will, will the way we look back at the slave owners, owners will 100 years from now, will that be the way we look at factory meat eaters? You know, very possible. And I think that's entirely possible because... Yeah. Uh, what I see morality is, is a non, um, it's not fixed. So uh, the example I give, horrible example, uh, let me re let me state this up front. It is a horrible example, but it is a profound one. And that is this in ancient Greek 
True love, ancient Greece, true yeah. love only took place between a man and a boy. A boy, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, that's not true. another man, yeah, a man a boy. and a boy. Yeah, that's right. That was considered true love. There was love between man and a woman, but that was for the purpose of children. And no education happened without pederasty. If you didn't no. have sex between an older teacher and a younger man, there was no transfer of knowledge. That's what they right. believed. So yeah. if you wanted to be smart, you, you know, you, you set up yourself up for a little bit of pedophilia. I mean, now there's no better way. That's the only thing that rapists and murderers will kill you over in prison. That's how low we consider yeah. that activity. Right. And so, yeah, again, it's a horrible example. I fully own that it's a horrible example, but it just shows us that here's this highest level of thinkers that, you know, the Socrateses of our life, these yeah. people that we look at with such great esteem who were pedophiles. But then there's this whole comment that like, that I actually don't agree with where they say the arc of history, what do they say? The moral arc of history is long, but it bends toward justice. This idea that there's this progress that like, yeah, they were pedophiles, but that was because it was back then and they were these barbaric people. I don't know if I believe that either. What does that mean that how do we know for certain that our morals are on some higher standard than other people's morals? Like, well, it's easy. They're ours. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? So the, they're they ours. Bend so we automatically justice. make them better. Exactly. The red right. hats may think that theirs is higher than the wokes, and the wokes thinks theirs. Hat, it's the same shit. It doesn't make that's what sense. I'm it's not changed. Yeah, it makes no sense. Right. Yeah. So it's it's not morality is a projection collectively that we put on the world. And the only, for me at least, the only option is to choose a morality and live with the consequences of living inside of a societal morality that's called the laws. Okay. And if you live against that, you're going to have to live with the consequences of that. And that's up to you. You can make that choice. But a lot but of I laws, choose. a lot of laws are, are, are bad laws. They're made by lobbyists. They're made by whatever, you know, terrible laws. Yeah. yeah. So you have to decide what you can live with. Did I do drugs when drugs were illegal? Yeah. <laughs> Was yeah. I willing to live with the consequences? I guess so. I don't think I thought about it, to be honest with you. No, you know, sure it was you in my twenties. Yeah, but- exactly. Do um, but I also know that I've also interviewed interviewed uh, Stephen Dawson, who is the lead um, voice for Leap, which is Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, uh. which is a global movement. And by the way, he was installed um, by Nixon as the drug czar. Right, so but he, he sees the, that, the failed policy. Probably he sees how harmful that he policy saw. Uh, is. Yeah, and yeah. so he started a global movement. So, you know, again, the laws and the morals, everything's always shifting. And we've got to, you know, and this is why I believe that it is self-examination, self-knowledge, not personal development, not personal development. Because I'm kind of the anti, I had a personal development company, but the self-help world is not the same as self-knowledge. Right. That's a vastly different world. And it's part of where my enemy shows up. But see, this conversation really messes with my mind because on one hand, like, yeah, everything you're saying is rational. There's obviously no fixed morality. At the same time, like, does that mean pedophiles aren't so bad? I mean, like, in other words, like, how do you develop, if everyone's morality is just what they choose it to be and the law, which is made by 
imbeciles is, is the only arbiter. How do you have a morality? How do you have a society? How do you do the right thing? Because I, I mean, I, I don't accept pedophilia. You're hurting innocent children, you know? Yeah. So like, how, how my brain is a little bit boggled right now, to be yeah, honest. I, I, and I think that that's an important place for us all to go. You see, I think that part of the challenge is that we're not willing to step into the gray. We're not willing to step into the confusion. We're right. not willing to step into the questioning. We're not willing to be curious. We want to ask questions and therefore get a right or wrong answer, but not be curious, which is to deepen our understanding of something. So I can judge you, sure. And that's my judgment. Um, but it doesn't make it right or wrong. It just is my judgment. And certainly I am not in favor of pedophilia by any stroke of the imagination. Now, of course. Right. Most but people at the same aren't, time, you know, yeah. At the same time, I can have the objectivity to say, okay, at a, if I understand uh, uh, neurosciences, did these people have a choice in the process? No. So are they as big of victims as the children that they are preying upon? Hmm. Maybe. I don't know, but let's look at that because then we can look at the epigenetics of a situation and the epigenetics of the situation is if I was traumatized as a child because I was sexually assaulted, right? Right. Um, then that sexual um, orientation switch that's turned on is now turned on that I have this propensity, this belief system that says um, adults find children sexually attractive. But there's also no, frame. No. There's also frame that even what you're saying is through a 21st century point of view. Absolutely. Because what you're saying is that it was trauma that caused this immoral behavior. Yeah. In reality, their frame was completely different. They didn't even think it was a problem. I mean, and, and no one involved thought it was a problem. Right. And that's the key. So that's the key with all of this. So when I hear people talking about, um, you know, uh, people who believe in QAnon, or conspiracy theories, and they go, how can they believe that stuff? Well, you know, I had a really wonderful conversation with Rebecca Costa. Um, she is the author of The Watchman's Rattle. Uh, you know, and we talked about, about this understanding around um, these conspiracy, conspiracy theories. And one of the things we talked about was the problem with, with conspiracy theories is there is always some facts. Yeah, there's always a little bit of truth. And, the, and they'll yeah. hook into that fact. Right. And then that's their argument for everything. Right, that's a great point. And it's point. the same with a, with a false morality, right, uh, uh, that is projected. You know, and uh, uh, one of my favorite shows to watch, I'm not a big TV guy, but one of my favorite shows to watch is The Handmaiden's Tale. That's Handmaid's a Tale, good show. Which I didn't yeah. like. Uh, yeah. I didn't want to watch, but my wife said, yeah. you got to watch it. And I show. love it because yeah. it's these people who are fundamentally believe in this, what appears to be insane culture right but they believe it and they're right with it and it's about rape and it's about uh, like it's like wow but i can see that in the I world i can see it too i mean i'll give you another example a thought experiment that is extremely uncomfortable and will blow your mind and this might get us canceled and i want to put up my disclaimer i'm, I'm i happen to be pro-choice in my personal politics sure but what if in 200 years the bulk of morality feels that there was no difference between aborting a fetus and killing a fetus a minute after it was born. I'm not saying that's true. I don't believe no. that. But what happens if, for whatever reason, in 200 years, society shifts? It's not inconceivable. 
is it? I mean, you know, does that mean that all of the people, all of the liberals who were pro-choice are going to be put in the Thomas Jefferson camp where their books are taken off of syllabuses, where we're not allowed to discuss their topics? And you might say, yeah, but that's moral. You're talking about a woman's body, a woman's choice. Yeah, to you, you know, but what if society, you know, they used to think infanticide was moral because the baby wasn't going to live anyway and wasn't going to have a good life. Am I comparing the two? I'm not. What I'm saying is that you have no idea, especially on the difficult issues that come to pain about pain and life and death and things like that. You have absolutely no idea what's going to be considered moral and immoral in the future and how you'll be judged by, well, by that. There's, there's a very interesting one. Uh, you know, if we look at, at sentient life uh, as an example, and then we go, okay, so uh, the Hippocratic Oath is not actually this because we can get into the details of it, but we're not going to, but, you know, do no harm. Okay, so what have we got? We got a bunch of people who were kept alive on pharma, pharma, pharmaceuticals who would rather die who would rather pass away but then the doctor's not allowed to it's illegal it's illegal to leave the the planet you have to sit there in pain you have to even if you want even if you don't want to now at the same time that person who is sick has a dog who gets sick and they put the dog down and they say it's right for the dog they they say it's it's the the kind thing to do we don't don't want want the the dog to to suffer. suffer So you're treating a dog better than a person. Exactly. So now we move ahead in time again in this same um, illusionary timeline. And we say, you know, when we look back in 100 years, do we go, you know, these people were so cruel. They kept my Aunt Sally alive and she was struggling and she, you know, she was incontinent and she couldn't think straight. And, you know, and they just kept her alive. And they treated their dogs better than people because maybe in the future, death indignity, I mean, dignity and death is the value that is sacrosanct and the value of life at all costs isn't and maybe maybe there's a religion in the future that's all about dignity and death and that's the dominant religion we would be the biggest barbarians of all time if that exactly yeah all of this becomes about that that piece around othering that piece around the you know you're with us or you're against us but it's interesting that you know thomas jefferson had slaves Yet, you know, we're seeing him as one of the forefathers of of the modern uh, United States of America. So is it possible to be in two places at once? And the answer is yes, in my mind. In my mind, too. But but there's this new black and white thing where. Yeah, where not only can do you have to be perfect morally, you have to be perfect morally according to the morality that didn't yet exist when you were born right yeah i mean it's it, it it's it's history revisited with today's morals right i mean i saw they you know they were taking down confederate statues which i believe in those people were yeah. traitors and i have no idea why there are statues up of these people you know i wouldn't want nazi statues up no. but then i love how people just can't stop they're like, okay, we're taking down this. It's like they they do the they do the work for their enemy, you know. So they say, okay, well, now that we're doing this, let's take down the statue of Abe Lincoln, because even though he freed the slaves, he wasn't pro-black. You have just nullified. You may as well put the Confederate statues up. If there's no difference between Klan members and Abe Lincoln, 
then you, then you may as well. So in other words, like the fact that a guy from 1860 who freed the slaves, who was that ahead of his time, also needed to believe that black people and white people were exactly the same and, and, and that was pro-black. The fact that like, yeah, it's like they, it's like, you, you, it's like the horseshoe. You, you, you push so far that you just come back to the same place. You undo all your, your work, you know? Yeah. And so this is, this is, this is the problem though, with that, with that cult mentality is that it's very much othered. Right, and it's very much about we're right, you're wrong, and, and this is why this is actually why this show came about. Yeah, right, because I think that curiosity is the cure for the world. Curiosity is not questions of right and wrong. Right. Curiosity is like how do we dig deeper? How you know? And every one of my guests gets to that place, including me, by the way, where we go. Mm, that kind of does my head in a little bit. It makes right. me think about something I hadn't thought about before, and that's the old the whole purpose of of this conversation is to inspire that in others to go away and go what if it's not black and white i've said before one of my favorite movies of all time is syriana i've right? never seen um, that actually oh you will love it <coughs> syriana with george clooney um he plays a, a cia agent but it's about how a prince in the middle east you know an oil uh, prince um is looking at going green and what happens to him it's about how a suicide bomber is not a fundamentalist Islamist, but does everything that looks like that. It's huh. about how a CIA guy is not trying to take down a government, but he's actually trying to help the government. And it's about all these wonderful gray areas that I think that we live in. I don't believe we live in a black and white. I don't world. either. But at the same time, to come to your point, there are pieces about it you can use to, to forward a message in a very positive and important way. That's a great point. So what I say both in the book and more, even more than in the book, um, I, I, I've been asked this question a lot in, in talks and I always say the same thing. People will say to me, you know, um, I have very complex, nuanced views on these things. Shouldn't that be what I'm presenting? And I say to them, you know, in your day-to-day -day work and in the way you live your life, you should be as nuanced as possible. You know, you should be a critical thinker because that's what's going to make a better life. That's what's going to make you successful. But when you're presenting, especially publicly, when you're packaging your ideas, critical thinking will murder you. It will kill you. You have to be not critical thinking. You, you should always critically think, but present things in a very black and white manner. And if they want to know more, let them let them find out now is that am i causing the problem that i'm preaching against <laughs> maybe you know maybe but, but but at the same time no one you know people don't they, they won't look at it otherwise they will look right over you if you come in with this nuanced i mean i'll tell you a story i wrote a book this was not my first book i wrote a book when i was a teenager and it was published. It was published by um, McGraw-Hill, not McGraw-Hill, uh, that's the new book, um, Macmillan. And it was a teenage driving manual, a humorous driver manual. And it sold horribly. It sold like no copies, but it almost sold millions of copies. And this is what happened. I was in my dorm room in college, back when we had like landline phones in the dorm room. And the phone just randomly rings. I, I kid you not. And I pick up the phone and it says, this is blah, 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 from the Oprah Winfrey show. I swear to God, out of the blue. What? And they're like, I swear to God. So they're like, we, we read your book and we're doing an episode on whether the driving age should be um, 
high, you know, raised up or lowered down? What do you mm. think? And the genius that I am, I said, well, on one hand, the driving age should be raised because of blah, blah, blah. But on the other hand, da, 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 da. And they said, well, thank you for your time. We'll call you, you know, don't call us, we'll call you. And, and that was it. And I sold nine copies of the thing, you know? So, but so in other words, if Oprah you take her, it stand on one side or the other. That's what they wanted. I mean, yeah. I, I was giving a nuanced answer that I actually believed, but, and I was too young to realize how the world worked. They wanted a, a person to come in there with a soundbite with a, a bold stand. And that's just the way the world works. Absolutely. And that brings me into this understanding because I, I, there are, I want to start in here and we'll, and we'll come back to it in, in the final part. But in my study of cult psychology, um, there are certain things that cults have in common. And, and let me be clear, I'm not talking about religious cults, although that can be one. Uh, the mega cult is a cult. The woke cult is a cult. Um, all religion in any form is a cult. So again, I'm not making negative or positive, but there are a couple of pronounced things that really sort of stand out. One is this, they use a sense of family. You're loved and accepted. Yeah, here. yeah. That's number Very one. True. Yeah. There is a common, common enemy. Always. There's an enemy. Um, and you speak about that beautifully in the book. Very well done. Yeah. Um, and then the third is that there is a hard line you cannot cross. And if you cross it, you will be ex excommunicated from this group. So there's the, you know, you're going to be absolutely loved. This is family. They or it is the enemy. And this is the line. And if you cross this line, you will no longer be a member of this family. And sometimes it's a very arbitrary line. It's, it's you can't shave your face. You can't eat pork. You right. can't, you know, you know, you can't introduce an outsider into the temple once it's consecrated, you know, very arbitrary things. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's fascinating to me because um, I have friends who are Trump people yeah. and I have friends who are very sort of AOC, you know, and um, I'm certainly a, a, a more sort of central liberal, but you right. know, I'm I certainly, I agree with some very conservative ideas. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know, I might even be seen as a little bit Marxist in that I'm anti Ayn Rand. I think Ayn Rand is probably the worst human being who's been <laughs> that's, around in. That's not Marxist. That's like being like. No, but I'm saying it's seen as. Yeah, right? as, that's crazy. Yeah, no. she, she is the biggest cult leader that I talk about her in the book. She, yeah. her, her cult tactics were off the rails. In, yeah. Insanely brilliant. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. I, I'm actually, uh, I, I'm working on a storyboard for a documentary I want to make um, that's actually showing the cult behavior of Anne Rand and uh, that has gone on ever since. And it, by the it, way, it's, it's changed the country. I mean, it's, it's really, absolutely. you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, as I say, people, by the way, I was a follower. So was I, 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 I read the fountainhead, never Atlas Shrugged, but I wanted to be an artist. I was an undersexed young male who had had my heart broken whose parents weren't crazy that I wanted to do, you know, writing. And I read the fountainhead. I'm like, yes, this guy would blow up a building before giving up his art. And I would go to the gym and I'm going to build myself into the ultimate man and all this. And I look back on that now and I'm like, you know, this is fiction and it's not even good fiction. These are not real people, you know, and people, 
these people like Paul Ryan, they, they think these characters are real. There's no nuance. It's just brilliant what she so does. She sucked me in. I mean, too. I, yeah. Brilliantly, brilliantly done um, and is perpetuated today. Oh, it's subjectivism huge. As, a, as a philosophy. You know, at the, at the, as, like I said, it's not capitalism. It's become, uh, as you said, uh, corporate communism. It's become greed. You know, as I said, if 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 Ayn Rand um, had a speech that wasn't her, it would be Gordon Gecko's speech in Wall Street. And not greed even a question. Yeah, not even and, a question. And, and, and people, you know, made fun of that at the time. And it, it like today, if Donald Trump stood up and did that speech today, or somebody equivalent to Donald Trump stood up and did that speech today, Matt Gates or somebody like that, people would scream and shout and applaud. They didn't even make fun of it. The dynamic was even more sinister. Oliver Stone made that thing to satirize Wall Street. Absolutely. And it people to this day quote that as if a real person made a positive speech that should be adhered to. That's what's Absolutely. funny. Yeah, and, and Milton Erickson and all of his stuff was resurfaced as a result of all that. And it caught, you know, and I've got very good human being friends who are very sane who throw Milton Erickson at me. And, and I go, you're actually quoting Gordon Gecko. And they're like, I, I didn't realize that, that there was a tie to Milton Erickson with that. Oh, I saw that it's so the same thing. It's yeah. this neoliberal economics yeah. that is about greed. It's and it's oh, and, Milton Friedman. I'm sorry. Are you yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, 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 right. right. And, right. And, exactly. and, and it goes yeah. from there, it, it, it goes into this whole thing around um, Anne Rand, right? I yeah. mean, it's the same craziness. Whenever I see rigidity, that's where you get, again, this goes back to our thing, the fact that the market will fix all problems, all problems. Okay, all problems. Okay, so, so the market will get us to the moon, all problems. The market will build roads, all problems. What about the internet? That wasn't created to the market, all problems, the market. So it's like, there's no, it, it, it's, it's, they've come up with their conclusion if they know that Yahweh, the secret name of Yahweh is written on the golem, you know, and everything they engineer is to not to question their beliefs. It's to reinforce this thing they already believe. And the fact is, it's a cartoon belief. I mean, you and I are both capitalists, I'm assuming. I mean, I'm yes, certainly no Marxist. Absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm a cow. I own a business. But the idea that there should be no referee, that businesses that are incentivized by harming people should be always in the market, you know, in the market. These things don't make sense, but it's a religion. Yeah. And that's it. That's what I was saying before about the American dream of capitalism has become a, it's not just a religion. It's a cult. It's religion, a cult. It is. Right? Cult is even better because the right. people are, once a religion happens, They've gone past the early days where people were fervent. Exactly. Sometimes you go on Sunday just to be with people, right? This is a cult. Their eyes glaze over. They get nuts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, so again, we, we now start dancing on that moral edge. Where is that? Uh, and, you know, I don't want the government to be controlling uh, my choices. Okay. I understand that. You know, a, a good friend of mine said, um, uh, a good friend of mine who is, uh, votes Democrat said um, that he saw a thing yesterday and it said uh, that Biden had said either get a vaccination or wear a mask. And he, and he said, uh, I'm a Democrat and F you. 
right? Right, because he feels like his his freedom has been uh, um, removed. But again, this idea of freedom is another one of those nuanced things that people don't really understand. It's not, you know, this comes full circle to the beginning of one of these conversations where you said the thing that makes human beings human beings is that they work in teams. They're not stronger than other chimpanzees. The, the ultimate individualists yep. are gorillas and chimpanzees. You know, really, you know, like they, they'll fight another chimpanzee to the death. They have little tribes, but it's all their yep. family. What makes humans work is that we live in societies. So does that mean I believe in engineering economies? No, it does not. I had someone tell me the other day on the in the other cult that we need a revolution to re-engineer the, the, the you know the, the society to to create. And I'm like, really like that because that's worked well in the past. It, it's it's just these blanket statements that are just so rigid and are based on fantasy versions of reality that they're cults. Well, for me, from a psychological point of view, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, you've got your IQ, you've got your EQ, you know, you've got these different things that people talk about, but very few people talk about psychological maturity. Uh, and yeah. that's a different thing than EQ. So e emotional maturity has got nothing to do with chronology, because I can remember being 20 and having all those same ideas. I can remember being 25 and sort of, you know, blanket statement solutions. Me too. Me too. You know? Me too. Yeah. But that's part of, that's okay. That yeah. I, I'm nothing against it. Right. And, I, and I'm very in favor of youth and, and because I think that they make us look at shit that we wouldn't normally look at. That's great. I think, I think that's true. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is why, you know, we needed the sex pistols to shift the music business. We needed, you know, we needed we, we we needed the baby boomer hippies because, you know, as annoying as they were and as some of their ideas have actually harmed the world, you know. You know, it's the reason that gay people aren't looked at as deviants. It's the reason, this, you know, I mean, it's it's the, they, it's a reason so you, you don't have to are... wait until you're in a miserable marriage to have sex for the first time. I mean, you need <laughs> yeah. young people to. So all these things, things are forward. absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But the problem is that if, you know, and again, I use Hitler as an example. These people don't realize that they're running around with a final solution. Yeah, right, right. Like there's this end point. You know, I, I think the great philosopher Pete Townsend said it best, you know, you know meet, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Yeah, exactly. These revolutions, it's like Animal Farm. You put a new, you know, uh, the, the old hierarchy gets torn down and now the, the new world order is going to happen. When have, have people ever just created a utopia on Earth? Zero times. Zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. Well, we're already at the end of part three. <laughs> and we're going to move into our final session. Uh, and by the way, this, this entire piece came out of that mastication question that's true <laughs> sorry if i derailed your plans man but that was not at plan. all but yeah, see yeah. this is the important i mean as i said this is the important thing is to have these conversations that go in directions that we don't expect to 
that are intense and allow us to to push ourselves this has been fantastic michael thank you so much we're going to come back for part four of our of our show here for you dear listener remember if you want to join in this conversation take yourself over to facebook we have a group in there called curiosity bites you can join in the conversation there and you know what i really want to encourage you we need your help in getting this show out there so please encourage you to rate review subscribe to the show share it out with others if you really want to understand how to think in a bigger way this is a great way to do it our guests are amazing as you can hear with michael this is fabulous we're going to be back with part four so we'll just be one click away so stay curious my friends stay curious <laughs>